¿Estás cansado de oír siempre lo mismo y escuchar la misma canción una y otra vez? Pues te damos la bienvenida a los podcasts de Autentia Desarrollo, donde os acercamos las mejores charlas técnicas de la comunidad. Barcelona Software Crafters 2019 Explain, please, how your users trust you. By Berta Devant Uh, you've probably seen the slides of the sponsors, but it is. Uh, I organize a lot of events, so I know it's very difficult to get uh, to get people to help you. So it's actually really nice to like say thanks. It's not just because they give us money, which also counts, but I also like. I think it's very nice that we are they are here and that we take time to like look at them. But okay, let's move. Let's start with the talk. Uh, hi, my name is Berta. I'm an iOS developer, and that's my my Twitter. And it died again. <laughs> I can just yell. Can you hear me? Yeah. Cool. I can just yell. No, it's a track and not a battery. It's just a vapor. Sorry. So my name is Berta, and uh, this is my Twitter for all the feedback that you want. It's also where I'm going to put the slides if you want to take a look at them later. I'm also one of the directors of Women Who Code in Barcelona. If you don't follow us, that's the Twitter. Please follow us. Thank you. And uh, if at any time you want to find me and it died again, I'm just going to yell. <laughs> that's going to be awkward. Hi. <laughs> These things always happen to me. Um, if at any time uh, you want to find me or you want to speak to me and you don't know how to start, uh, I will probably be by the coffee. If there is coffee, I'm probably next to it. That's the best way to find me. And if you don't know how to start a conversation but you want to start, send me pictures of your dogs, all of them. I also accept cats, turtles, any cute animal. That's the best way. We're going to be immediately friends. Um, before I start, there's a couple of disclaimers that I need to do. Uh, one is that I swear, I am sorry if I offend anyone. There are going to be some swearing in this talk. I usually do talks the way I talk, <laughs> and I swear a lot when I talk, and I'm also very passionate about the subject. So I'm sorry if I offend anyone. There is, it's not what I'm trying to do, and I do try to curve them, but I cannot assure you that I'm not going to swear. That's the first disclaimer. The second is I'm going to say facts about some companies, not my opinion, unless I state otherwise. S and there are bad things and good things about every company. Don't sue me. Thank you. <laughs> Very important. Please don't sue me. And the third one, I am a mobile developer. So a lot of the cases and a lot of the investigations are around mobile. That can be applied to other things also, but this is my area of expertise and how the talk started. So a lot of uh, some things might be a little bit more mobile-focused, but we all have a phone, so I don't think you're going to be completely bored. Okay, those are all my disclaimers. Uh, I will reiterate this. Don't sue me. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so ethics and transparency. Right? What are ethics of right transparency? Why it's a Saturday at 11 a.m. and there's this girl talking about ethics uh, when I'm a coder? Well, it, you'll see. But first, I need kind of need to define you what ethics are. Please don't leave the room. I promise you it's very quick. So ethics, as the Oxford Dictionary says, it's a sort of a blueprint. So if we're talking about code and specifically like new languages, this would be like sort of a protocol, interface, whatever you want to call it in your language. They are the blueprints, like the code of conduct. It's not actionable. It's just things that you wish to do. So every time I say the word ethics or ethical code, that's what I mean. I mean a, a blueprint of what would be the ideal situation, okay? And now, when I say transparency, then that's when I mean actual, actionable things. Transparency is an adjective. Makes sense, right? It's something you make transparent. So you, make, uh, you use this to, you, to do things transparent, meaning communication, openness, and my favorite part, which is accountability. You are accountable to make things transparent. The, so when I'm talking about transparency, I'm talking about actually physically doing things. It would be the implementation of the protocol interface, whatever. And when I'm talking about ethics, I'm talking about a blueprint, a set of guidelines. Okay, that's that's it. See, it wasn't that that bad to like just go through it. So why am I talking about this? I mean, if you've been in this wall uh, for the past two years, you've probably seen these headlines, and this, and this. There's a lot of them. I cut some of them out. And this, I, this has been happening over and over and over again. These are just some of them, some of the most famous, but it keeps happening over and over again. 
and uh, it's not a good look on us as a community in general. And it's not looking technology in general. Like there are people that say that we're gonna end the world, which honestly, I don't think so, but <coughs> like it's not a good look. And not only it goes into headlines, it's also gone into what I believe is the most, uh, per like the best form of art. You can find me on that, but I'm gonna win, which is memes obviously, like it got to pop culture. These memes are right now a reflection of pop culture. And it got to the point that it's, it's gotten really, really bad. Like at this, on the sense that these make sound funny and I did put them because they are kind of fun to look at and read. But that means there are an entire generation of 15 year olds that already assume that privacy is not something they are ever gonna have. That's kind of fucked up. See the swearing, sorry, but it is. <laughs> It's kind of bad that it's it gotten to that point that they make jokes about it, memes in this sense. Like they already see there's an entire generation that already assumes that they have no privacy. And that's weird. And that should not be normalized, even though we all are normalized about it. But not only it has permitted the news, it has also gotten into memes, pop culture, and teenagers, it also starting to happen with regulations. You all know about this, you probably all hate it, and I'm not here to discuss if it's good or bad, don't yell at me, thank you. I am only using it as an example. <laughs> there is one thing that I like about GDPR, and it's their description. This is on their website, and it's the only thing I'm gonna have an opinion about. And I like this because it says rules for businesses and rights for citizens. And that's a very important point because my entire talk is gonna be about, I'm, I have a lot of memes and fun and some cases of worst cases scenario. But all of the times we kind of forget, even as users, that we're talking about our rights as human beings. These are rights. And again, we just kind of validated the fact, uh, normalized the fact that, oh, it, this is fine. I mean, I get Google Maps. It's, it's fine if they just track everything that I do and then sell it to third parties. Doesn't shouldn't really work like that. And still, even when those rules appear, this happened like three weeks ago. <laughs> so even, even when countries actually, well, in this case, European Union tries to do some rules, this happens. That's com obviously completely unethical. And also, was it worth it, Google, to do this? Not for the fine, but for the fact that it stockpiles on how bad Google has been doing this shit recently. The swearing, sorry. <laughs> so it's an important issue. And, um, and it's something that it can go very wrong. And as Wire said, trust right now is a high value, value currency. It's on everyone's mind. Between Snowden and everything that's been happening with FaceApp, Facebook, Google, everyone is worried about it. I don't know if you're lucky enough uh, to have more than one programmer in your house, but I am the only one in my family. Uh, when the whole FaceApp thing happened, the Google, uh, uh, WhatsApp versus the independence stuff, you know how many messages that I got about my entire family saying that they had to delete WhatsApp and if I, they could erase the entire phone? They don't really understand what's going on. They just know they should be uh, scared because this could be used against them. And that's not a good thing. Like, my mom stopped using WhatsApp. That, I never thought that would happen. And actually downloaded Signal and learned how to use it, which She's 55, that's kind of impressive, trust me. So that, it's a high value currency. You will lose users, and users are gonna be very hard to get back. It's very hard to get back from losing someone's trust. So what happens when we fail? I'm gonna use uh, three cases of scenarios, uh, very general, I made the categories myself, so if you don't like them, that's fair, and uh, about uh, different types of ways you can fail, and then give you examples of companies and things that do it right. There's more examples that fail that they do it right, spoiler alert, but it's still good to see the little things that we can start improving on. So three studio cases. When you don't earn your user's trust, who knows what Tumblr is? <laughs> Let's go into that rabbit hole. All right, so I don't know if you are aware of this, but last December there was something called a purge of Tumblr, and basically a Tumblr app dis uh, disappeared out of the iOS store because uh, they had a problem with porn bots. And Apple is very American Puritan that way, and uh, decided that every porn is bad, and if you don't ban it completely, we won't have you in the Apple store. That is completely destroys Apple, not being able to like, I, Apple, Tumblr, not being able to like get updates of people to actually download their app for iOS phones. Like that's just, if that happens to you, you're done. 
kind of thing. So obviously what Tumblr did was banning it, and they did it very badly. Tumblr, for the people who know, is a, a, it was, was a very actual very big um, social media platform, but it was mostly queer and feminist and very leftist, and it struggled for a very long time to earn any money, even though it it kept being sold because people didn't understand it, which this is happening is the bias of if it's not actual white men, we don't know how to sell things to you, but it keeps happening. But it had a very active user, user base and a lot of views. So uh, the, the staff of Tumblr is a recurrent meme that they do things very badly. And obviously, Tumblr reacted with memes because it's Tumblr, which is, explains the situation of what happened very well. They have never had their users trust. This problem happened. And instead of trying to solve it properly, they basically banned every form of nudity, and specifically female representing nipples. It's very important because that kind of pisses me off a lot. But obviously, Tumblr reacted, and this is kind of what happened. Uh, all porn blogs are okay. Racist stuff is fine. This was flagged as explicit because they had like a month to create an entire algorithm that would flag things as explicit. So these things happen, and this very explicit, <laughs> right? Um, this is a, this was actually blocked. It's art, so you know you should tell all the five-year-olds that they cannot go to museums anymore because this is actually explicit now. These are like this is something that actually happened, and people made fun of it because that's how we deal with it with things, right? Yeah, as best as it's fun. Hate speech are fine. Uh, blogs about uh, girls uh, with anorexia are totally fine, uh, but a naked bo booby—that's bad. And obviously, like the end goal, which was they lost 60% of the ad revenue. Everyone, a lot of really big people in the community left and they lose 84 million users. Now think about that, 84 million users in a month. They never really, Tumblr never really earned an, any of their users' trust, but this may, definitely didn't earn them. They were completely blocked of the system. They didn't tell people in advance that this was gonna happen. They were just gonna remove, they suddenly files were, were being removed. They gave no transparency about how they blocked something as explicit or not. And there was no extra solution. The funniest and more hysterical in a sarcastic way part of this is no other platform picked up these users. Some of them went to Instagram, some of them went to Twitter, some of them went to Mastodon, but it's quite a small and run by volunteers. Some of them went to Reddit, but none of those platforms uh, have what Tumblr did and had about communities. So there are these, all these users that left, no one picked them up. Like Tumblr didn't particularly have competition. They just did things really badly because they never took into account who their user base was. Now, that happens into knowing your users. You have to get earn their trust, you have to know them. This, I'm gonna share on Instagram now, yay. Uh, this is where the disclaimer of Don't Sue Me at the beginning starts, please. Uh, if you don't know Salty, it's a magazine also again for queer and non-inclusive, non-binary, trans people. And they p showcase a lot of uh, blogs uh, for people about what's dating with disabilities and things like that. Like usual articles that you don't see other places. It's really interesting. They do some great work. Go follow them. They don't pay me to say that. I just like them. Um, Salty had these two images, wanted to start um, advertising on, on Instagram to get more followers, to get more showcase, and to get more money out of ad revenue so they could start paying their warriors. Sounds good, right? This is what Facebook came back with. They are an escort service, and thus they cannot advertise. None of those women are, or people, sorry, uh, are actually naked. It's not an escort service. This is a magazine. Why did it fall into this? Well, Facebook doesn't tell us why, but once it got blown up to the point of like Rolling Stones, they actually apologized and reversed that. But uh, they never said why. If you ask the people who know how this algorithm thing works, it's probably because uh, to differentiate what something is a little bit like showing a skin as a sort of female representing body and it's not and it's not escorts most of the model that they probably use for that algorithm is white people and white women that that a facebook that instagram actually accepts none of the people that you will see on salty's instagram look like that 
so automatically it was red flagged. Um, until a week ago, because I haven't tried recently, I follow them, I look at their stories, I do all the engagement stuff that Facebook put it on the list. I don't know if you've noticed, or if you are attention to algorithms sometimes, how they work, when you start typing something on the search of Instagram, like an S or something like that, it's gonna show up the results that you interact with the most. For me, on an S right now, is my cousin because she just had a baby and I am just completely bananas for the baby pictures. So I've been responding to all everything, liking all the posts, going constantly to see if there are new pictures. So every time I put an S, she comes up as the first result. Facebook understands that that's probably the thing that I wanna see because it's the thing that I've been interacting with the most. I use this, uh, I love this site. I use a lot, I read almost all of the articles, I interact in the same way, I actually know the people who are running and I've been talking to them. So it's the same level. And yet, as of a week ago, because I haven't tried since then, every time I tried to put it and I put the S, didn't work. I start typing salty, still didn't work. Salty world, couldn't find it. I had to specifically put salty that world to find this to find the actual page. So, and somehow this, uh, however non-transparent this algorithm work, it ended up that these people never got shown up in results. Like, imagine how many people they're losing are following. This is a completely run volunteer organization. Like, no one is making money out of this. They're probably paying for the photo shoot themselves. And they're trying to do something good. And it's just, it's not probably the bias or like anyone at Facebook going like, no, you don't get anything. It's probably mostly that they haven't had an algorithm that is trained properly to acknowledge any of the posts that they're posting because they are not the normal. So you need to know your users. I mean, Instagram has been used for a very long time and Facebook also for minorities to create communities and groups. This is a moment that you need to know your users and you need to do better. I encourage you to see if you can find them and let me know the results. And yeah, and it's kind of the thing. An algorithm designed badly, it can wreak havoc si silently for very long. And by the time you realize uh, that you're losing that entire user base, it will probably be too late because they probably already left because they're probably frustrated and gone. Salty, what it started to do is that their community is around their newsletter, not Instagram anymore because they couldn't trust Instagram. That's what happened. They still use it, but it's not what they post most of their stuff. And being transparent, that's the third one. Being transparent first. We, they don't know, I am making guesses about why they're being at that level. It would be nice to know why they're in any category of like sub-level person. But this, again, also very mobile, but I, don't, I think everyone knows what FaceApp is. Someone doesn't know what FaceApp is? Okay. FaceApp was an app that creates filters that change you into other people. And it's been up, uh, well, the filters for the face. It's been up for a very long time, but it got really famous where all those filters that could turn you into an old person, like a version of yourself as old, or it could gender swap you. And it became like a craze. Like every celebrity was using it. Uh, they got like, a, a, like a hundred, I think it was like 129 million downloads in a span of two weeks or something like that because like literally when I say every celebrity I mean Chrissy Teigen level Beyonce level of celebrity and it got so big that even like politicians were using it and then this happened um, if you use FaceApp, you're giving them license to use your photos your name your username and your likeness and all of these things started showing up with this this happened uh, because the DNC, which is the Democratic Party in the United States, sent an email saying uh, to everyone that was running for president to delete that app from the phone because the, the app had access to all the pictures you will ever upload. Not only the ones that you want to see, but all the pictures. Spoiler alert, that's not true. The phase app, um, oh, sorry. The phase app actually, like, terms of conditions are the same as Instagram. It is not true. But it didn't matter that it wasn't true. It, they uh, they, the last latest numbers is that their active user base is 84 million. They, go, they gain 129 million in like two weeks. Where did those people go? They deleted it. It, didn't, it blew up. Like, it blew up to the level of someone from Congress sent an email to politicians to delete the app. It didn't matter that it wasn't real. These headlines 
run rampant and none of those publications uh, all the links are at the end of the slides you can check all of it none of those publications actually uh, publish the amendment of oh actually we need an investigation and that's not actually true BuzzFeed actually did the investigation which that's weird but okay they did and their uh, their post was not seen as much as any of these things I don't know what filter FaceApp can comes up with that is going to delete all of this most of the people, when they think of FaceApp now, they think of they have, they have access to all my pictures and I shouldn't trust them. I don't know if they're going to be able to get back from this scandal. And it was false. But they weren't very transparent about it either. These terms and conditions are impossible to read. No one reads them and they're completely convoluted. They weren't being very transparent and that bite them in the ass. Because once this came up, no, they had, no one could actually protect them. So this is a kind of like the most important point of the talk, so I put it in the middle. Um, algorithms are opinions embedded in code. It's not math. These are opinions. These are things that we decide to make. We like to think about tech as science and that it's going to be 2 plus 2 is always going to be 4, and it's not true. Our bias and the way we code is going to be different, and that should be apparent by the fact that you can probably tell who wrote a piece of code in your team on the same project and it could it should be apparent also because you can tell if someone writes code well or bad if you can already say that someone writes well good code and someone writes bad code that means that code is in science it's more of an art form and thus it has opinions and it matters who writes it so we need to be very held accountable by ourselves about why we write and how we write it so yeah it's an agent that shapes view it's not a passive tool. This is a tool, software right now is something that shaped, helps us shape the world. It's not a passive tool anymore. It's not like, oh, I just wrote some code. It doesn't really matter. It shouldn't affect anything. That's what Facebook tried to do and look, and now Donald Trump is the president of the United States of America. So, you know, worst case scenario, but it happened in this reality. Does your moral code, so what does your moral code have code? What can we do? So I'm gonna take those three examples that I said before. Uh, knowing your users, earning their trust, and being transparent first, and show you how some companies have been trying to solve it. This is when it gets a little bit more like mobile focused, but it can be applied to other things also. So, earn your users' trust. Do your users know what data are you collecting? Do you need all the data? That's, that's an important question. Do you really know everything? Do you know that you can download, for example, all your Spotify data? And um, it takes a couple of weeks, but they send you like this incredibly long Excel sheet. It's not Excel, but you know, uh, of all your data that they collect. And I know engineers at Spotify for iOS. So I asked them why the hell were they collecting if I'm listening on a, a song via Bluetooth or, uh, or like connected headphones? And they looked at me and their answer privately was, wait, we collect that? That's not a good answer in general. And that's probably most of the answers. Do you know all the data you're collecting from your users? All of it? Do you use all of it? Do you need all of it? Do you have a standards and practice to delete the data later on? I mean, I, I know GDPR kind of forced all of us, but do you? <laughs> and, do you and most importantly, what aren't you comfortable doing? Like, do you have an ethical code? Do you feel comfortable knowing that your company collects all of this data and never deletes it? Would you feel comfortable giving your company that data, your data, on that sense, that amount of it? Grab, yeah, ask yourself these questions and write for yourself, doesn't mean you have to make it actionable, ethical code, blueprint, of the things that you are comfortable and you are not comfortable about doing and ask those questions. The same way we do a clean code, like we look at code and we try to find the best way to write this so other programmers don't, don't want to bash our head every time they look at our code, we should start thinking about ethical code. What is the most ethical way that I can solve this problem? That will create less problems for society, for the users, and that will still solve this solution. It is something that we need to start thinking about. And so this is a very, uh, get mobile, but this is a very good example. This didn't happen at the beginning, it's, but it's something that if you download an app right now that has access to your pictures and hasn't asked for, us for us access, you're gonna be weirded out. We all like take this for granted, but you've probably downloaded an app that asks you for access to the microphone and you go like, why? 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 
Like, no, why? <laughs> you don't need this for. Recently, uh, a new update of Bicing, for example, here in Barcelona, asks you to get access to the Bluetooth and doesn't uh, allow you to actually scan a QR code unless you give them access to the Bluetooth. Why the hell do they need the Bluetooth? Can someone answer this for me? Do you know anyone advising? Like, why do I have to give you access to the Bluetooth? I don't understand this, but it doesn't work otherwise. Like the camera function to, act, to uh, uh, scan the QR code that had been working two weeks ago doesn't work now. Can someone tell me why? <laughs> I would be very interested, right? Uh, and this is another, some other cases about algorithm fer uh, like fairness. Uh, Kickstarter is a pretty good company in terms of companies. They created this entire thing where their focus is not to make the stakeholders rich by any means, but legally they also have to make social justice and the stakeholders at the same time. It's quite interesting, only legal in the United States so far, but very interesting if you are into legal laws. Uh, but this is something they created recently, honest and clear presentation in projects. It's a set of guidelines uh, for people who create Kickstarter projects about uh, how to properly present them to avoid uh, scammers. They, they were starting to get these projects that were very flashy in China, that nothing came out of it, and it's starting to create a uh, problems with users, not only on the sides of you giving them money to them to get that thing LED light that never came back, that never arrived, but also for people who created legitimate projects. Because this project uses some certain hashtags and titles and pictures that were basically getting at the top. So these guidelines basically tell you how to create a project properly so you're not blacklisted as a scam, but at the same time as a user like myself, it tells me when, if, if there is a top project like chosen by Kickstarter, it tells me why. It tells me what um, variables and they have used and what thought process they use to put the projects there. So when I see a board game that has, there's on the top project, I can tell that that's not gonna be because they've had a lot of success before, but because it's an actually interesting project or they know the, they have actually contact with the, with the, with the people that do this project. So it gives me a certain, um, a certain trust that I'm gonna put my money there and I will actually get that board game. And it's really good and it's just the guidelines. You can choose not to follow, you can also choose not to read them. But they show you why, for example, what Facebook doesn't do, why something was deemed as escort. What's the thought process, how this was built? What was the logic behind it? And because that's kind of like the problem, it's, it's, not, it's the guidelines, they're not going a crackdown. Tumblr did a crackdown. Kickstarter started a set of guidelines to help people. And Kickstarter is committed to helping those users learn this and do it properly. That's the proper way to earn someone's trust and not lose any user base. Because it was starting to get really bad actually people getting a scam on Kickstarter. This made people be comfortable that Kickstarter had their back. Now, the second point is knowing your users. Do you know your users? And I don't mean like how much time they spend in the app. Do you know how they use it? Do you know what they're liking? Do you know if they're part of any minority? Do you know if uh, they use it differently than maybe you intended? Do you, have a, do you test your app or website or whatever you work on, software, uh, with a diverse user base? And I mean this in every spec, uh, specifically accessibility. <laughs> like you test your app for accessibility with disabled people. That's very important. And um, are they technology concise? Are they gonna understand the technology behind it a little bit? Like it's very different when you're coding for 13 year olds than when you're coding for 55 year olds, or it should be, I guess. Um, but for example, this new generation that is coming up now, they are way more versed in technology than any generation. And I mean below me, like I am millennial, and meaning the generation before uh, that's coming after me. Before, after, no. Um, they, are, they are very technologically adapt, and they care a lot about social issues. They've been organized, they've, they do the strike for climate change. I don't know about you, when I was in elementary school, I didn't strike for climate change. And they are, they are organizing themselves via TikTok and, <laughs> and doing strikes and being 15 year olds and making me feel bad about not caring enough. Like that's in really impressive, but they are very caring and very socially conscious and, and understand technology. Like the answer of, well, this is how things, the system works, or this is technology, I don't really understand it, so I'm gonna have to trust it. It's not gonna work with them. And that's the future for all of our apps. They are the future. 
we are going to die out eventually. They are the future, and they are very conscious about these things. Are we coding for that? Are we taking them into account? And yeah, and the ethical code of this is, what the standards do you want? You are all users also, as much as the actions behind it. You all develop any sort of apps. You all have a phone. You all interact with websites. What are your standards? What do you expect people to do with your data, with your privacy? What would be the no's? Do you code? You, are, you, are you treating your users the same way you would you like to be treated? And these are some examples of knowing your users and also being transparent. All the three points are very related to each other. This is Buffer. There is a moment that Buffer lost uh, like half of their like how do you say like engagement. They were completely failing at social marketing and media. And Buffer is actually something that allows you to do social marketing. So they were basically losing their client, their users in this case, which is the people who use this platform and pay for it, uh, money. Uh, they weren't giving the same work. Uh, the CEO basically wrote this article being super transparent about the fact that they were failing, about the fact that they didn't understand why, and the users responded. Literally, like entire Twitter threads, entire uh, Skype calls, emails, telling them what they were missing, what they, they could do to help, wha uh, what they could change, what they were looking for in Buffer. They listen to those users and they skyrocket. Like not only they don't have this of so a failing and like half of the year before, they got more users, paying users than they've ever gotten before. Because usually people do good if you let them. They will probably try to help you. They if someone is using your product, they will want to use it because it's good. Being transparent actually helped buffer a lot. And this is another one that it did it without failing. It did it from the beginning. Wow. Monzo is um, it's a bank, online bank, like N26, but only based in the UK. And they have this roadmap besides a forum, uh, which is completely open. So every time, if you are part of Monzo, you have a Monzo card, you can see literally a which process of development the new feature is. They're doing a new feature now for loans, for example, and you can see all the discussions. Not only you can see them, you can participate them. So when they were doing the loans, I disclaimer, I know a lot of people that work at Monzo, so <laughs> but um, when they were doing the loans, for example, I have a couple of friends on the squad, they were telling me that they didn't realize how little people actually understand how lending works and the percentage. So they created this entire post asking the users for feedback. And they went into this forum and they realized that they had to do redesign the entire UX for at the beginning, the onboarding to the lending explains what 5% means, what 2% means, what, what going every month means, when it's going to end, and giving them a basically like a PDF of what lending works like. And they redesigned the entire feature around it. And it's on the state of finishing now. And it's, gonna, it's been uh, alpha tested, and the users quite, uh, quite like it, for what I've been told. But everything is completely there. Everything that they're going to do in the future, everything that they're discussing and doing, changing, deleting, the new UI, every little thing is up there. And you can discuss, and you can argue about it. And it's really nice to, uh, specifically something with a bank that usually are not very transparent. Like you see a commission check, and then you have to fight with four different people to understand why they take your money out. And that's without trying to get the money back. This is literally just a forum online where you can talk with other users also, but also the people working inside of Monzo. And it's worked out for them very well. Monzo is, uh, uses venture capitalists, it doesn't make money yet, but one of the things that they did is before venture capitalists, they opened it to crowdfund. The people who had the card actually spend money to fund Monzo as a bank. That's probably, I don't think that's ever happened before. Um, they, they, pay, they use Monzo and they pay the membership or they pay the, the, the fees when they have to pay them. And at the same time, when Monzo said that they needed money to basically keep building what they wanted to build, the users actually just gave them a shit ton of money. And I don't remember the exact same numbers, but it was last year, and you should check it out. It was millions. It was a shit ton of money. I think it was like 34 or something like that. So it's clearly working, being transparent and having those people's trust. So this is, for example, my own take. This is what I would like. That's an app called Exif, but this is for one of the transparency things that I would like Apple to implement, or like any phone, that when you go and sh share an image, you can choose to share it with or without metadata. 
I don't know if you ever tried to like see all the metadata, but we share a shit ton of images on WhatsApp. I can download this app, which looks at all the metadata of the pictures, and I can basically look at all the pictures that my entire family sends on the WhatsApp group and know exactly where they're taken, where, which kind of phone, and if they were connected to, a, to an internet source at the moment, or was a three, through 3G, and if 3G was Movistar, or was with a phone. That's kind of creepy. I don't want people knowing that much about me when I just send them a stupid meme or a picture of myself. It, it's a lot of information. This would be a, a, like a very small change, the same as asking for permission to use the location. But that makes a lot of sense. It's just a little change. Share without metadata. Why would I'm sharing the image, not the metadata. And that's not only for the users. If you share the image through WhatsApp, upload it on Twitter, and all of this, the apps have access to all this metadata. I know because I code for that, and we have access to all of that. So that would be a very small change that I would very much like to Apple to implement. If anyone knows a way to reach them, please. <laughs> and this is another one of my favorite things that I think we should all be there. It's called the Data Rates Rights Finder. It's an open GitHub, but it has a website. It basically reads the terms of conditions for you. It's uh, open source, so they try to build it slowly. Not everything is there. There are some banks. I don't think any Spanish banks yet. But if you have, if you want to contribute, you should. And it basically reads them for you, and it tells you, like, it separates it by like different parts, data rights, and it tells you the problematic things that they found around it. And it's built by the community. But it's on GitHub. It's open source. You can contribute. You should. I think more companies should be there, and I think you, if you travel, work for a company, you should put your company there, and then check and see if it's good or not. <laughs> but also to like actually contribute with your own company if you are doing things correctly, which I usually assume people are. And and this uh, is a very funny story. Um, uh, Google has had a lot of. Sh backlash recently, and um, they tried to create this ethic board. Right, and this is about knowing your users because it's it's a f sort of a fail case, but also something they try to do right. They try to create an ethics board, and it got cancelled mostly uh, because one of the people that was supposed to be in that board, there were like five people. Uh, it works for a heritage foundation in the United States, which is a foundation against LGBTQ and uh, pr uh, completely pro-life instead of pro-choice. It's like you can you want to create an AI ethics board, and one of the people on that board is completely the rights of like half of the population that <laughs> that sounds like right so obviously um, there was a huge backlash and uh, there's a lot of people questioning online like how did this happen <laughs> like who how did you get this to happen right and they listened to that and they realized that ethic board wasn't the way to do it. So they tried to do, yeah, the removal is just. And then the, the other person was basically a guy whose company is an AA of military drones, you know, the same year that Google got an entire strike of employees because they didn't want them to be tied to a military drone program. Yeah, that's completely tone deaf on their part, <laughs> honestly. So the ethic board got canceled. Uh, in like two weeks, that thing, like it was created and it got cancelled in two weeks. It was a very long-lasting ethic board. <laughs> it's just I, I don't know how this happened. On uh, half of the people online, they, they don't know how this ended up happening. They tried to help. So what they did now is that if you go into their uh, machine learning practices, for example, like where they teach you how to use machine learning using TensorFlow, there's an entire chapter they need to pass about fairness and bias and uh, and checking your understanding of things. And so that's a pretty good step, right? They also uh, they also started funding a lot of uh, a lot of these things. And I don't have a lot of range of motion. But I, per I particularly like this one. That's fine. I am a woman, so obviously. Um, but they actually found this entire project that a university wrote, which it basically checks the bias on uh, media in general. And it's a machine learning model. So it, they train it, and it's already there. And you can go and use it to check bias on any pictures that you create, the publicity videos, or anything like that. And it will tell you if you are failing at, at diversity, and if you have some sort of inherent drama. Instead of having to wait for the only woman on your team to go like, um, should we redo this, maybe? Because that's I prefer a machine having to do that, and I can do my work, which is computer developer, not 
you know, not being the, the ethic person in the, in the entire company. So uh, they actually tried to help. So they did, they, all of these are some, one of the examples. There are more. But they basically started funding a lot of machine learning models that would actually be, be more diverse and data sets that will actually be more diverse. Uh, Facebook is also trying. I don't know if this is going to succeed or not, but um, they're actually trying and they put it with the Munich University. So they're actually trying to make things more ethical and their algorithms better haven't seen it and work yet, but maybe, so they are trying. And this uh, summer, they released a principles of artificial intelligence, like how, like an ethical guide of how they try to work. And if you read it, it's very broad, meaning that they can't work around it, but it's a star. That's, it's a star of like the biggest company actually trying to look at this and think about it properly instead of going like, look, you can, we can tag you on everything because we found your face. So that's pretty good. And then being transparent first. Uh, one of the most important things, well, again, this is very mobile-based, but being transparent first, does, uh, how do you do sharing? Sharing between other apps, but also sharing between other users. You have, uh, mobile apps have a lot of, um, have a lot of power about what you share on the same app, but between different users. Are you sharing too much of the user's data? Are you sh do they know everything that you're sharing? Again, the metadata case. Like, a lot of people don't know that when you're sending an image, you're giving WhatsApp all that information. It's not about me sending an image to my mom and my mom having the information of where I am. It's more about WhatsApp having that information just because I send an image. Like, I'm pr I didn't agree to that particularly. So being transparent first is very impor in, impor important. And also, again, sorry, that's very um, mobile, but have you checked your SDKs? The frameworks that you use, SDKs are frameworks uh, that you use on mobile apps that help you do tracking. It's other companies that basically create code for tracking, um, like for events and analytics, for advertisement, and all of these things. A lot of the times, if, for example, you use an app and you use one of these SDKs for network connections, secure network connections, Imagine that this app gets a problem, gets a bug, and the user's uh, information gets released. Do you think a user actually knows that you're using that SDK and that the bug isn't yours? Because the only thing that they're going to know is that their, uh, their leak information comes from your app. They, they don't know how you build it. They probably don't know which SDKs you use unless you told them which a lot of people actually don't, and we should start. So they cannot even check which SDKs an app uses to check if those SDKs have uh, good privacy policies. And usually those SDKs have access to all the user's information most of the time, unless you particularly code it for it. So check that. For, uh, I checked one for events and analytics, and I put it in a project that I only added, added it. And I did absolutely nothing with it. I didn't send any, any event trigger or anything. And then I fired something called Charles that checks all the incoming like, data from an app. And it was sending inf user information. I literally only imported it into an empty file, never did anything with it. I was already sharing user information, have not shared any event. That I didn't even know that as a programmer, that he was doing that, because I thought I had control over it. But it's someone else's code. I don't. So we should check about that. And never assume anything, also. Uh, so this is a, I like this example. I have a lot of things to say about Apple, bad things, I mean. But these are some of the good things. It's in the recent iOS that only while using the app. It's, it's a little very small change, but I quite like it. Like, no ba you cannot get my location and background data, like, all the time. I quite like that, and I think Google uh, Android should implement that also. And I think it should be with other things, like Bluetooth access and all of this stuff. Like, only while actually using the app. You don't need anything else if I'm not actually using the app. And one of the things that I really like about being trans how transparent they are about privacy is this part here. That's on the privacy analytics, on settings, on iOS. You see that everything is separated. It's not... Like, they, it's not a, a toggle on and off. You want to share data, yes or no? And then you have to choose, and usually you're going to go by no. It's, it's separated by all the different types of data. 
and it tells you each one of them has a different doc outlining what they're going to do with this data and how long it's going to be in the server. So I can read each one of them, which I do. I know other people don't, but you can read each one of them and decide if you actually want and which and how many of them. And it also gives you an overview of how much data do they usually track. Just right here. It's not that big of a UX change, and yet it already brings a little bit of sense of trust and security because you get much more control, which we all like. And, uh, and this is what happened when we we're talking about ACK cases tracking. This happened recently with the new DubDub. Um, Apple announced that no tracking SDKs would be able to be on kids' games because they are children, and you should not be tracking what children do because they are children. So a lot of developers started having a lot of problems because they use this a lot, and a lot of SDKs were also having have to basically now change their code for this because it became this. Um, John Stern is the one that actually did an entire report for the Wall Street Journal about how her child got tracked about everything that they did. And, and that's what prompted Apple to create these guidelines. And she said that's like the problem isn't the data collection itself. It's the fact that if I haven't been able to sit down for two months and test all of this, I would have never known the amount of things that they do. If I know, I can choose. And I can probably accept, like I would probably accept, but the fact that I don't know is what makes me scared and is what doesn't make like it. So being transparent first, not like I really like this gift. Now like we are not people inside of like a cave like coding and trying to like trick people and hack the wall. We are part of the wall in general, like on any aspect of daily life. And we should code for that. And this one is one that I like. For example, Cake Browser is a browser for mobile. They have a guidelines that you can actually read, like a human. I was very excited about this because I've been reading a lot of them, and it was very nice to read one like a human. And it, because it's a mobile app, it actually has a list of SDKs and what they use them for it. That's nice, right? It's, it, it, it might make you decide to want to actually use this over Firefox or Safari, mostly because Safari sucks, but besides that. And they also have an entire thing of like uh, how, the, um, how the partners that get access to the user's data. And uh, how so it's very explicit about all the data, where it goes, and how, how they use it. And then you can just check, for example, Apps Flyer and go to their privacy policy and see what they do. And all through the entire way of me using this browser, I can know exactly what's happening to my data at any time. And that's pretty good. I like that. Like I prefer knowing besides not knowing, but I'm also weird. And another, la my last case of being transparent first, it's about differential privacy and federated learning. I don't know if you know what differential privacy is. Um, it's a way to basically uh, collect data, analytic data about what users do without knowing who the users are. Apple, Google, Facebook, they're all doing it. But the difference is that Google, for example, here, well, this is the federated learning one, but this is the, the, um, the differential privacy. They actually open source the documents, like an actual document made it by like, how they work and how this works out there. So it doesn't tell you the code, but it tells you the principles and the logic of how the differential privacy and the federated learning that they use works. So you can actually check that. Apple doesn't do that, for example. And some tests that they have done under the phones uh, have proven, um, a Chinese co a scholar did it for like six months, have proven that their, their differential privacy is actually only level two, which is actually really low. So it's not as secure as Apple makes us believe. The Google one, it's out there. You can read it. it. You can read which level they are and how they get to that level of differential privacy, meaning they collect uh, data for usage, analytics, knowing that there is, so they would, it means that they will collect. There is uh, three people right now on phones not listening to me, but they don't know who you, who you are, which is important. Right? And federated learning is the machine learning version of that. It's a al mathematical algorithm that basically it uh, uses data to train an algorithm without being able to pinpoint that data back to a user. So, uh, so that means that when Google started doing federated learning, means that all your data that gets uploaded to what you, how you use Google Maps and things like that for the recommendations, they're going to process that and they're going to get them their if they follow this, they're going to get their machine models better, but without being able to pinpoint that that's for you, per specifically. Like, they won't be able to tell that I have a problem with coffee. 
and that they, but they will be able to tell that she probably should recommend more coffee places to her. So that's pretty good. I, I like my secrets to be kept secret on a, on a talk while I'm being recorded, you know. And actually, I was very surprised. Uber has differential privacy, and they released the open source project. And I was surprised because I never, said I was gonna say, I never thought I was going to say something good about Uber in my life. But there it is. <laughs> the only good thing about Uber. Facebook hasn't released it open, and neither has Apple, so they should. But knowing Apple probably won't happen. So yeah, smart. Um, so even though we say a lot of shit about Google in general, they're actually the ones that are trying the hardest. They create a lot of papers about these things and privacy. It's just they're a big company. They also fail a lot. <laughs> so it happens. And um, because one of the things that I wanted to say at the end is like, this is my last one, and then you are free to go, is we have the power. We are developers, yes. And a lot of the people go and say, oh, uh, but I'm a developer. I'm just one person in a company. Uh, we have more power than we believe we do. And there is something that Uncle Bob said about the programmer's oath, and I'm putting here empty. There's nothing else on this slide, because I don't want to put what he put, because one, uh, I don't 100% agree, and second, he is a sexist dinosaur, and I don't want to give him any credit for anything. He should die, not physically, like out of the, out of the community. But <laughs> I don't want death on anyone. But uh, his programmer oath, I don't agree, because it's a lot about technical stuff, and I don't think it's supposed to be technical. But doctors have an oath, do no harm. Lawyers also have an oath. If you break the oath, you get disbarred. You cannot be a lawyer anymore. Right? We don't. And we can go behind like, well, yeah, but I was working and I just, I was just coding. It's, it's not my, pr it's not my point. But yes, it is. You are creating something that can affect people's life. It is kind of your responsibility also. And also, if you think that the company, that you have to do it for the company and that the company is going to protect you, I would like to remember you, the Volkswagen thing that happened. I think we all remember. And how Volkswagen threw the six developers under the bus as fast as it could. So yes, no, it won't protect you, <laughs> most probably. So we should create a programmer's oath. I don't think I'm the person prepared to do it at all, but we should create it, even if it's just one personally. And the last thing I wanted to show is, well, this is an example of how much power do we have, right? They canceled, but this, I particularly like this. This is statistics done in five different countries by uh, like one of those uh, people that analyze markets. So your, cl your company decides that now they want to do machine learning out of the blue because they read this, you know, those ones. But I, pr I love this one, access to developer talent. It has a bigger impact on how badly a company can go than Brexit. Have you seen Brexit? That thing is insane. That is a shit show. And yet, if you ask any company in the UK, they're more worried about not having access to good developers than Brexit. Brexit. Like, it's happening on October 31st. What's going to happen? I don't know. No one does. <laughs> and it's still, they say that access to developer talent is more threatening to their business than Brexit. So yes, we do have power. We have power inside of the company to change things or going to another company because it, this is not math. This is a political fight, and it's one that we should start thinking about it and that we are late to fight, even if it's just daily things little by little. And that's it. Thank you. Si te ha gustado el podcast y quieres estar a la última en tecnología, suscríbete a nuestro canal de iVoox e y escúchanos donde quieras. Para más información, autentia.com.